Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, welcome to CTO Confessions, Nick. It's great to have you on board, sir. It's great to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who do you work for? What do you do? Yeah, I'm the Senior Director of Technology at Coherent, a company that's really growing in the US. So it's expanded almost 400%. Really, really exciting. But before that, I was at uh, Microsoft. And before that, I worked at several large insurance companies and actuarial consulting firms as well. Brilliant. Excellent. You mentioned the word Microsoft. What was your time like there? What was it like working for Microsoft? It was really interesting. It's a very big company, as, as you well know, uh, over a trillion dollars uh, and growing and super exciting. Everything was, it's interesting just because it's, it's so big and massive and there's lots of update and trying to stay on top of the newest and greatest technology. It was every time you open up your emails, this new thing coming up and how it could impact this. And this was going to be, was all this stuff over and over and over again. It was really hard to stay on top of it. Um, and I was trying to filter that all down and get that to the, uh, my uh, fellow tech people in the insurance industry and say, Hey, come look at this, you know, sort of this evangelizing role. So that mm-hmm. was kind of what I was hired to do. And that evolved over time. Um, and then it became less about the insurance industry. And that's really where I'm super excited about. So as long cool. as I can stay on the insurance side and in technology, I'm happy. And uh, that's kind of why I'm super excited about being a coherent. What was your journey like to becoming a leader within the tech space? I always find this interesting and, and um, I have you know some grown children and I talk about how career paths work and it's it, when you're on it, it seems super logical. It's like, okay, I went to school, I'm a math, uh, mathematician and I study for actual exams, work for actual consulting firms doing software, uh, implemented custom software for parts of the federal government, um, then was recruited to help run a big program at a large insurance company. Um, and as I was moving through them, I was talking to you know other people for other roles. And as they changed roles, things sort of just connected back up again. So literally a person I turned down an offer from before I went to Microsoft, that person moved to Microsoft and offered me a job. And at that point, I couldn't turn him down for a job at Microsoft for you know some things I just talked about, about you know, yeah. huge companies, cutting edge technology, super exciting to work there. So that's how I got there. Um, not at all planned, but it sort of it did sort of all flow from a um, education, technology, all related. So brilliant. That sounds good. Sounds adventurous. And you've obviously kind of ended up this really interesting company, Coherence. What's the problem that this company is solving in the market? It's interesting because when I talk to people about it, either they get it right away or it's like, well, that's interesting. But no, the, the key thing there is we are taking um, capturing business logic and converting it to APIs. And the way we're doing that is using a tool that big chunks of the market are already comfortable, which is Excel. So mm. anything you have in Excel, any line of business, um, can be insurance, financial, oil and gas, really anything that's in Excel, and it can be really super complicated. It can have macros. 
But the biggest problem with Excel is if I give this Excel spreadsheet to somebody else, they can break it. If I give it mm -hmm. to somebody else, they can change it. I have no way to go back and forth. The control management, a mess. What yes. Coherent does is takes that Excel spreadsheet. Uh, all you have to do is label up the inputs and outputs, and then it converts that to code and then deploys it in API in the cloud. Wow. So which in seconds, I mean, it's literally by the time you click the button, talk about it, it happened. Already. <laughs> uh, so it's like, right. it's like, we always tell like, pay attention. Look, the little green bar went across, it's done. So um, and that's fantastic. And the, the advantage is it's in the cloud. So A, it can run up to a hundred times faster. It's scalable, it's distributable. We have security wrappers around all of it employed either in different clouds. It can be employed on-prem or on the edge. So from a technology perspective, it's it's extraordinary. But you also have um, the control pieces because it tracks every time that API is used, you use it when we have complete version control. So if if your actuary team says, oh, I want to try it this way. So they make a change. They don't have to talk to IT. They can make the change right in Excel and push it up. So it's literally all the control for that model or that Excel spreadsheet is in with the business. And then mm -hmm. it's just pushing everything by, you know, just drag and drop it into um, the smart interface. It pops it back up into the, into the cloud and IT can handle it from the, that end, or they can run it and generate um, things through our testing center that spit out in additional Excel spreadsheets or flat files or whatever, and then use that with any tool they want. So they can either have it completely integrated into a system. We have a uh, one of our part, companies is using it that's connected to front end and the back end in Salesforce. So they've got a, a little display that's running inside Salesforce that was built effectively completely by uh, the business unit. And they can modify it and push it back up, but it's all in it in Salesforce. And so instead of having the IT, you know, that whole again having worked on the business side and the IT side, that communication or lack of communication in that whole sort of iteration space. Oh, I really wanted you to do this. Oh, do that back and forth and back and forth with a mess. Mm. We solved that problem because the ownership of the, the model is still with the business unit. IT just connects to plumbing. Ah. So it's not like, oh, you got it wrong. It's like, I didn't, I didn't get it wrong. <laughs> the, the business unit owns it, it has a testing. They can test it right when they make the change in Excel. When they push it up, there's a testing, uh, facility built into it that generates test examples. Uh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I was super excited when I first saw the demonstration and like, wow, this solves so many problems. If I had had this when I was at this large insurance <laughs> company, yes. it had thousands of Excel spreadsheets that were that we had to and we spent millions of dollars to wrap each Excel spreadsheet with a control because we were that's ahead. right. Yeah. So this was this would have done it all and locked it all in place. It had all the audit capability has kept the auditors. Oh, it would have saved so much money and time. Yeah, so. I haven't worked in companies and I've seen Excel sheets used for pretty drastic kind of decision-making and the lack of control and the fact that somebody can go in and change the formula as well. And it creates a completely different outcome. It's quite frightening actually that you would kind of rely on this great tool, but it's not fit for purpose on its own. Oh, exactly. And this allows people to go ahead and break it, but you can tell that someone changed it and we can tell exactly what fields were changed. And if, if that was wrong, you can roll it back. So you can republish the, so it has the exact version control that anybody in IT is familiar with. It has, you know, effectively fork and go, I want, this is what I wanted to use forward or go back. And again, it has it at logs. So you know who made the change, when it was made, when it was run, we know exactly what went in, what went out. Again, from a insurance side, you know, all the audit controls are built in. So it's like, oh, 
I, I want to see what happened three years ago. Who did that calculation? What was the spreadsheet that was used? I mean, even though it was used in the API, I can have the, the Excel spreadsheet that tied to it exactly. And they can, they can come and look at it and play with it all they want. Mm. Um, and that's exactly what was used uh, from a calculation perspective. Okay. And yeah. When it was used and who did it. So it's from an audit perspective, it's mind blowing. So. To me, this is obvious. It's probably a, a constant use case or misuse case within companies of relying on this brilliant tool. Now, don't get me wrong, Excel yeah. is an excellent tool. It's just sometimes kind of misused. And what was the spark that caused Coherence to create the Spark product? Well, I, I think, um, so the founder actually worked at a, a company that I was working at at the same time. We, I think we might've been on uh, uh, similar meetings at some point, he was in Asia. And it was, it was primarily built uh, in the beginning in Hong Kong, and now it's it's global and we're really again, expanding the US. But um, so he was seeing the same problems that really anybody that was either on the IT side or the actuarial side is Excel is a great tool. People are using it all over. The problem is you don't have the control around it and it's not scalable. If I wanted to, you know, put, you know, ten, you know, really feed large amounts of data through it, it can't fit in Excel. So how, how can I do that? You can Spark gives you the app once it's in an API, um, that's great. And then it also addresses the control piece because all those changes that people want to make, those are all done in Excel and pushed up. We don't let people go in and, and mess with the, the API. It's all, you want to change it, go to the Excel, pull down the current version, make the change in Excel, test it, make sure you're happy, push it up. Wow. Um, so it's, it's all in Excel. It's all there. It's all owned by the business unit. So it gives them that control. And we see so many different use cases from that perspective. And then it's, Excel is used all over. So it's not just insurance or financial services, but oil and gas, really any industry, medicine, health, whatever, any yeah. place where we're, we're, you're using Excel and you want to have that control. You want to have that comfort that you can go back in two years and pull up the exact Excel spreadsheet that was for calculate. Yeah. Um, uh, again, it's it's a good sort of risk mitigator too, because I ran into this a lot in insurance, where especially for things that maybe weren't in Excel, that someone developed this code or implemented it, and especially insurance, there's a lot of legacy stuff, and the people that developed and coded it aren't even alive anymore. Yes. So how do you go back and re recreate it or support it or develop? It's like yeah. you really have to buy a new system. So this gives you a way to everything has been saved that was in Excel. I can regenerate it. I can look at it again. I can all that audit information. Um, it's really a really huge risk mitigator, um, business continuity. Um, it's, uh, yeah, again, it just, it just clicked so many boxes and problems that I had seen in the industry. Mm. Um, that's what got me excited and that's why I joined. Brilliant. I hope there's kind of people in the audience thinking, ah, we've got this, we need to fix this. Great thing here is you're not eliminating Excel. You're just kind of adding another control on top of it. It's great. And now coming back to you then, Nick, as a leader, what's the thing that makes you jump out of bed in the morning? What's your passion? Well, I like making a difference. Um, and maybe that sounds weird for an insurance, somebody that's working in the insurance space, but there's, there's so much good that comes from having delivered a service that impacts large amounts of people. I had worked in the uh, defined benefit side. So literally millions of people were getting paid because the software they had written was processing the checks that went out to them. Um, and then, or I was making sure that the industry was solvent. Um, so that was really interesting and exciting uh, on the government side, but really IT uh, and really the impact and support to the company that was you know, delivering services to the uh, end customers. So um, I've had the privilege to work for a lot of large insurance companies 
um, and then worked at small uh, consulting firms that worked with all sorts of different people. So that was really doing something that made a difference um, and having an impact. And coming on to your leadership, the way you roll as a leader, what's your kind of style? What would somebody say about your kind of leadership style? Hopefully it's op I'm open and I let my managers uh, and my employees have input um, and try to, to let so again, I'm going back to what I was running at AIG. So I supported 700 actuaries globally. I had wow. a series of managers that reported to me and then development team uh, globally. So um, again, I was trying to make sure that all the people that reported to me had a chance to really communicate up to my managers. And then I could bring in, if we had a special project, I let the person that was running that project present to my manager too. So it was really elevating and communicating out. So that was really important to me. And I think the key thing there is really being open and communicating people at all levels the same way. Yes. Um, and this kind of, um, so I'm also a dad and I have uh, grown sons now, but even when they were younger, I didn't talk to them as little kids. I talked to them as almost as peers, maybe ahead of their age, just so they could get used to, you know, what do you think? What do you think? Uh -huh. and, and just to the conversation and making sure that everyone was on the same page as we're going to some, and sometimes you really just have to say, this is my decision. This is what we're going to do full yes. stop. But, um, that shouldn't be your first go-to response at any level with anybody. It should really be, how do we work together to move forward? I like that. I love it. And are there any kind of lessons from your leadership journey that you'd like to share with the audience around what didn't work and what you learned from that? Wow. I've had some of those too. <laughs> um, again, working at some, uh, a wide range of different companies has been good. Um, I think, I think I, some was, I'm really, it's interested in people that can stay in the same job, the same company forever. It's just, you know, there's, there's always opportunities that get me excited and want to move on or things don't work out. And, and it's really being able to um, really understand your strengths and weaknesses and find roles that match. And when they don't leave sooner mm -hmm. rather than later, because eventually it's not going to work out. So um, that's probably a, I tend to uh, let ride a horse till it, you know, into the ground instead of going, okay, this isn't going the way it needs to. I need to jump off and go find something else and really be serious about it. And that's something that's probably a, a weakness on mine. I'm sort of become super loyal and just kind of, oh, I can make this work. I can make this work. And then it doesn't. And uh, um, I find myself in a problem where I should have jumped said, this isn't working. I need to step away. That's a great kind of topic. I think a lot of people feel that as well. So yeah. thank you for bringing that up. And as a leader in your time, being a leader in various organizations and the one you're in now, what's the things that have kind of kept you up at night and, and played on your mind? It's interesting because those two sort of tie together on things that you get really excited about something and you think, well, this is going to be the best, best solution ever. And then you just hold on to it, hold on to it. It's going to work out. And then, it, and then when it doesn't, it becomes a problem. Um, and a lot of, of tech companies sort of feed in. It's like, wow, chase, chase the big shiny toy, be on the bleeding edge, try this. Um, and it, I've been burned so many times. I have to sort of, every time I get super excited and you take a step back and go, okay, this was a problem before when I thought this was going to be the best solution. And, oh, it was only available in this area for this specific thing. And what I thought could have been a, you know, save the world kind of thing ended up not working for me and became a problem. So, mm. um, it's there's that sort of let's be safe but then also try to try new things so there's that balancing act is uh is something that's always there um and some people are super eager to maybe be on the more risky side and that that can be me which is good and bad um but 
you also have to think about, I need to make sure this is stable and working uh, and make sure I've got something that everyone understands and they can forward. But I also want to sort of push them along as well. So yeah. a, a balancing act. And that's kind of um, what I think about. And, and a lot of times it keeps me up and I is really, you know, have I stepped too far away from from the, the mainstream and gone too, chasing after that shiny toy too much? Yeah, that's right. And what makes being a, a tech leader easier? Is there any things that you've kind of come across that make your life easier as a whole? I think it's working again. I'll go back to that sort of the diverse group. I think that's really interesting. I think if everybody thinks the exact same way and has the exact same experience in certain ways, that makes it easier. It's like, oh yeah, this 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 one gizmo and everybody knows exactly what that is mm. versus, but then you never think about the thing that's like that, that's different. So um, having that sort of diverse group can really help move things along and mm. let you try new things. Um, and I'll go back to something that was in at Microsoft and I didn't think about it as much at the time, but now it keeps kind of bubbling back up. It's really a sort of fail fast, try something out. If it doesn't work, go try something else. Yes. Um, and it's really get, sort of be real iterative about what you're trying to do and let the people around you do the same thing. It's not just, oh, um, if you fail, you're, you're, you know, you're no use to me. No, if you fail, that was a huge learning. Let everybody know what that yeah. didn't work, what happened. And then they won't make the same mistake. If you just keep to yourself like, oh, that was, that was bad. I don't want anybody to know I did this. It's like, no, let everybody else know it. So you don't, they don't make the same mistake as you did. So, and then we can learn from that and move forward. Yeah, I love it. Great advice. And I think, you know, having that psychological safety to be able to experiment and try things is a really beautiful layer that any leader can create in their organization. So which kind of brings us on to, you know, how do you get the best out of your teams? What are the tips that you like to kind of share around creating the best teams, communication and collaboration? I, I do like the idea of the whole two, two uh, pizzas. So mm. if you have a team that you can't feed with two pizzas, um, uh, I'm in the U.S., so that I mean, I know some people could eat two pizzas by themselves. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That aside, the idea of you know having that group that's um, that can work together and communicate, I think having uh, a big proponent of daily standups and really communicating quickly. Again, that try and fail quickly. Um, if you have. I've been in other organizations where it's like, oh, we'll have a meeting every month. And it's like, by the time you get to the next meeting, maybe they haven't done anything since the first meeting. And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it takes a project forever. Yeah. If you have that sort of, I know this is going to happen every day. I need to show some progress or at least let people know that you're not working on it. And then we could get somebody else. And then, you know, creating a manageable backlog is too. Uh, I think sometimes I've been in other places where you've had backlogs that have been page after page after page and stuff that just keeps you add new things and it keeps the older stuff keeps being pushed down and the backlog list so it's like yeah let's make it make sure it's manageable and trim off the the end if it's never going to happen um you know either really kind of rethink why it's even on the list yeah. um or come up with a solution that's going to fix all of it or do something totally at some point it's um, I think people kind of get stuck in a rut and it's like, okay, let's take a step back and reevaluate. But again, that sort of fail, try and fail tr fast and have in, you know, sprints and things that are, you know, sort of real agile methodology and kind of move it along fast though. I've seen people use that label for lots of different things. So, yeah. um, it's again, something you have to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I love this idea of making sure that the backlogs are managed because I've personally, I've experienced backlogs that are just huge. I mean, scary to even look at, scary yeah. to even think about, Never mind, look at them. How do you manage to keep it manageable? Well, it's again, it's, it's really prioritizing. And a lot of times if you have something that's been a problem, um, it gets on the backlog. I'm really going back to some of my 
pre uh, little older technologies where there would be some update and it just would never get fixed because it wasn't a big of a problem. Let's just get rid of it. Just re-chop off the bottom, you know, 100. So if you've got more than 200 things on your backlog list, the, the bottom 100 really was never a priority for anybody at any point in time. Maybe sort of put it in a, you know, deep storage at that point. Um, and hopefully you're fixing that part, that problem with, you know, you know, a major update and just effectively eliminating that, that maybe small little glitch that really wasn't impacting anybody in a meaningful way. But I think it's really, again, focusing on what's important uh, and going from there. Brilliant. So coming on to a topic that I'm particularly interested in, we're particularly interested in here at IT Labs is growing pains of companies. What are the common growing pains that you've seen in organizations, maybe in the company that you're in at the moment? Well, I, I think it's interesting because it sort of ties with something I was doing at Microsoft. It's really how do people buy your product? Um, I've been at, at large insurance companies and the whole process of buying and procurement is very lengthy and difficult. And even just getting somebody in the door and all the contracts and it, even if you have that fantastic idea, how do you make that happen? Mm. Um, and I, we're getting around that at some level uh, at the current company I am and, and but one of the key things there, I think it's something that's really exploding across lots of different industries is the use of marketplaces, really sort of to get through that procurement process. So when you buy something through the marketplace, you're only dealing with, uh, from a contractual perspective, with a person that's running the marketplace. So either for AWS or Microsoft or Google or Guidewire or whatever, all these, all these companies are now having these marketplaces and that really gets around one of the biggest problems. How do you get that last mile? How do you make that sale? If I have to become a preferred provider before I could actually sell something into an insurance company, for example, but AWS, Microsoft, Google, they're already preferred providers. So if I'm on one of their marketplaces, I can get around that. And there's both, all of those companies have incentive plans and go to market plans. And so getting onto the marketplaces makes a huge difference, both from exposure and mm. addresses those pain points and where companies can fall down. I can't make a sale because I'm, you know, I have to go through the legal, I have to do this and this. You still have to do some of that, but it streamlines it immensely. And you can sell to companies that, um, especially down market. <laughs> so if you want to sell a couple units to a company in Brazil, you don't want to, you know, pack up your sales team, drive down there and, you know, fly down there or whatever and try to make that sale. If you can do it all automatically through a marketplace, you're glad to, glad to have that business, you know, sort of that almost touchless, painless process of getting that sold up and running and all those pieces are taken care of by the marketplaces. It addresses so many problems for, you know, small companies that are growing. Again, in large companies that want to try out new things. I mean, that's yes. the advantages of marketplaces. Once you have an offer up and running, I can create 10 offers that look almost the same. Maybe I only have this market, this product at this price point sold in, you know, in Uruguay or whatever. I mean, you can geofence things in those marketplaces. So it's only available to people in that one region for that price or whatever. I mean, you, and then you can take, bring it up and take it back down. It's that flexibility. It just addresses so many pain points from a sales perspective. Mm. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, and a lot of companies go, well, I've got a sales team that does that. Well, this can work with those sort of enterprise level sales companies too, but it's also gives you that mid and down market capability without having to really stress out your sales team that you know, and gives you that scalability as well. Any engineering challenges you're facing at the moment, Nick? It's interesting. We, we've, we've been finding some interesting solutions from a pure engineering perspective on 
A, how we can integrate with uh, much larger companies and solutions from Snowflake to Salesforce to, um, you know, a lot of uh, core systems that we're trying to integrate with too. Again, that makes it easier for us to sell into customers if they can understand, oh, this Excel spreadsheet connect to this API, which connects to something I already have, mm -hmm. either the front end, the back end. Um, that's really, it doesn't have to, but that's, people can get their head around that and it's easier. So, uh, and from the Snowflake perspective, it's just, again, it's not exactly another cloud, but it's, it's there's a technology there that makes everything else simpler. Um, yeah. And someone else has already done all the hard work and we just have to find a way to connect it. So um, it's just from a scale perspective, leveraging the, the, the resources and capabilities of our other tech partners, these other tech providers can really give you a, an opportunity to grow quickly. So if that's a, even one of the shiny new toys at Microsoft or at AWS or, you know, or Snowflake, which is running primarily on AWS, but can run another one. So it's, again, it's leveraging those big players to really make your offer better and more acceptable to the market. Yeah, love it. That's great. And as we come towards the closing arc of our time together, Nick, What's the advice you'd give to aspiring leaders out there that are listening in? I think, again, if everybody that you're working with, uh, everybody you've hired looks like you, you're doing something wrong. You really should try to get as many different perspectives, because if you want to sell to just one type of person, maybe that's okay. But usually companies want to sell to everybody. Mm. So it makes sense to have people that you're working, that's working for you to sort of mirror who you want to sell to both in age and every other combination as possible. I think that's um, where I've seen things kind of fall apart is you have everybody in a group, they all know each other, they're all buddies, but they only, <laughs> they can really all, you know, all these old white people that are old white guys that are just selling to old white guys. And that's a really narrow little sliver that's going away. So it's like, you've got to be able to broaden your, your perspective and sort of look, um, and there's so much additional insights and things out there that you can bring in and make your products better, more resilient, be honest, it's a more interesting place to work too. So. Yes, that's great. And any books or talks that have been integral on your kind of journey that have really kind of helped you along that you'd like to share? Wow, tough one. I'd love to say I have lots of time to read and I read every night, but <clears throat> actually I'm the, <laughs> I have to be completely honest, the book that I've been reading for a while is is one that just kind of goes to you know younger part of my life. It's called the Abend in the River. Uh, it's about Central Africa and it's really an interesting discussion of how people work from different cultures and how it all sort of fits together, you know, in sort of extreme environments. It's a historical novel that I found really interesting. And I had lived in that part of the world for a while as well. So it's sort of tying it all together. I'm not sure how that fits exactly with technology, but I think it's, again, how you interact with other people from different groups and how understanding what they're going through can help you move forward in a constructive and better way. I love it. it sounds great. A bend in the river. I will book that out. Actually, I'm going to add that. I need to read more kind of books like this, but uh, <laughs> I used to tend to go for the technical stuff. But uh, okay. yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second. Okay. okay. I'm going to offer you a tech wish for your tech leadership, for your company that you're working for, or your industry. What would you wish for? I wish everyone understood the power of APIs. Love it. I love that. I think that's quite self-explanatory. I, I know uh, yeah. what you mean, you know? Yeah, because either people get it or they go, what? It, it, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll make this wish come true for you because I think I'm always talking about, you know, how people can make things of interoperability, how things can be integrated easier out of the box. 
powerful stuff. Yeah. And as we come to the full stop of our podcast, what's the key takeaway that you'd like to leave the men and women tech leaders out there that are listening to this podcast? If you have a problem with Excel, we can help. Excellent. What a note to finish on. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for your time, Nick. It's been wonderful having you on board. It's great to be here. Thank you. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.